lot of stuff to discuss today. Okay, we are at Parshas Vayakel. I actually have things written down here so that I don't forget. We'll see if I actually remember to get to them. Okay. Um, Parshas Vayakel starts at chapter 35, verse 1. After your conversation with Gila, you know that that is not intuitive at the beginning of a Parsha. We'll start at the beginning of a chapter. But here it does, in fact. Right? Uh, second to the last Parsha. Many, many years it is combined. Okay, Vayakal and Bukhude are often combined. This year, because we have a leap year, they are not. So they're both two short-ish kind of Torah portions. And um, they are also very familiar. Yeah. Very we right, 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 really, right. Okay, we're gonna have to get to that. Sarah, while you're standing, if you don't mind to close the door, that would be amazing, just because the noise bothers me. So we are at Parshas Vayakel. Before we get into Parshas Vayakel, hold it a second, okay? Don't go in there just yet, okay? I want to do some some other stuff first, and then we're gonna get into the Parsha. First of all, this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. We are going to, yes, we are going to be blessing the new month on Shabbos. And what's interesting slash fun slash, I'm not really sure what this means, is that we're going from one Adar into another Adar. So this Shabbos, we have the overlap of both. We're kind of bringing the second Adar into our Adar. And we're sometimes when you have different, we're going to get this, we're going to get this. When we're going to, and, and this is my take on the situation, but I think that, very often when we have, when we bless the month and you have one month and we're blessing a different month, um, you see how the energy and how they kind of mesh together. And here it's like, we're having two Adjers, we're like having overlap and overlay of Simcha and Simcha. So this is going to be like an amazing, amazing Shabbos, I hope. I hope we get to bring it down actually into our actual Shabbos and not just into like our theory of Shabbos, but the energy that's available to us on this Shabbos is actually going to be super amazing. So we are going to be having the first order and we're blessing the second order so we're overlapping both of those things in the same shabbos which is going to be should be amazing um moving into order the other thing that's going on this week is that we have so we're gonna get them we're gonna get them right there i promise you i promise you give me a second uh, the other thing because then you're gonna miss what i'm saying which is also important um the other thing that we have this week is the first of what's called four parshiot we have as in the lead up to pesach we have an additional four partio. Now they aren't in exactly full Torah portions. They are 15 to 20 verses, depending on what it is. This week, we're going to be reading what's called Parsha Shkalim, which we discussed last week, the beginning of last week's Torah portion. Remember we spoke about the half shekel thing? So those first bunch of verses is called Parsha Shkalim. We're going to take out another Sefer Torah. So we'll have two Torah scrolls and the Maftir Aliyah will be the other Parsha. So it's not like, you know, a full Torah portion, but it is called a full Parsha. We read Parsha Shkolem, the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Adar. So Rosh Chodesh Adar is going to be on Thursday and Friday of the upcoming week. So the Shabbos before we read the, the mitzvah to bring a half shekel, because in the times of the temple, every single year they would collect half shekel coins that were used for, anybody remember? What do we use the half shekel coins for? Atonement for our soul. Yes, yes, atonement for our soul. But specifically, what do we use the coins for? What do we do with that money? Yeah, we buy the, we buy the communal sacrifices 
with everybody's money. So from Rosh Chodesh Adar till Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they're going to be collecting. And they actually, the Gemara talks about how they had people who used to go to all the villages and have tables set out that people could bring their half shekel coins to them. You didn't have to bring it to the temple. They had people who went out and collected it. And then all that money from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, if I'm not mistaken, was used to buy the new the new, the new count, the, like the new animals, the new sacrifices were the money from Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So the week, like the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh, Rosh, Rosh Chodesh Adar, they used to machers, they used to announce the, this idea of the half shekel coin because it's time to put in your contribution towards the communal sacrifices. Let me start a question. Yes. They do not know. They do not know what's going on the honor system. They're going on the honor system. Um, the, the, the thing is, if my money is going into communal sacrifices and I'm not putting in, then I'm not part of the communal sacrifices. So there's a, there's a self-incentive to be part of that conversation. Okay. Um, just, just quickly, the other, the other three Torah portions that are called Parshiot, we have Parshat Zachar to remember Amalek, which is always good. Is, wait, um, so we have Shkolin. Really just like the first paragraph of last week's question. Exactly. That when we talk about a Parsha, we think it's like a full Torah portion. It's not. It's called the four Parshiot, but they're really like maybe the equivalent of one Torah reading. Some more, some less. So the first one we have is Parsha Shkolin, which is this week. The second one is going to be Parsha Zohar to remember Amalek. And that we read the Parsha, sorry, we read the Shabbos before Purim. Nope. No, it's not one of the parshas. No, it's called Shabbat Shira because of the song, but it's not one of the four parshas. Here, we're, it's all leading up to, uh, to to Pesach. This is kind of like prep towards mm-hmm. Pesach, and then we have Parshat Hachodesh, which is the first mitzvah that the Jewish people were given. Hachodesh Hazelachem, the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, which we read the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, because that was when. What parsha is that? That's what Parshat Hachodesh. Oh, when is it going to come out? It's going to be the Shabbos before. I don't know. I didn't look at it. I didn't look at the calendar. It's going to come out the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. But it's like a paragraph of the month. It's going to be the oh of uh, it's in Parshas Bo, the mitzvah of the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. Yeah, and the week before Parshas Hachodesh, we read Parshas Para. We read about the Para Duma, about the red heifer, because the 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 red heifer talks about the purification process from coming in contact with a dead body. And for, it didn't matter for the whole year if you were walking around impure. And, and the last one was Parshat. Parshat's Para, which is the week before Parshat Chodesh. So you have Shkolem is before, is before Rosh Chodesh Adar, Zohar, which is before Purim, Hachodesh, which is before Nisan, and then Para, which is before Hachodesh. Okay, so that's in paragraph uh, where's Para? Where's Para? Yeah. Huh? No, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. We can look it up afterwards. Um. Um. Okay. Fine. So then let's do it one more time. What's it? No, there's two things. Okay. Leading up to Pesach, the sages instituted a, a four additional readings, and each one is called a parsha. Okay. It's not actually a parsha like. The sages, the Chachamim. We have it early on. I don't know exactly where it is. The idea is to remind us of, of topical things. Topical things, yeah. topical things that are happening. Bo is in Shmos. So the first thing that we, the first thing that we have this week. Oh, this doesn't work. Uh, this doesn't work. Okay. The first one that we have, the first of the four parshas, 
It's called Parshat Shkalim. It's read the week before Rosh Chodesh Adar. Okay? The second one that we have is Parshat Zachor. Parshat Zachor. This is before Rosh Chodesh Adar. This is the week before Purim. Yeah? So tell me if this would make more sense. I, I, I wrote down that. Okay, what's that? Then, okay, then we have, the next one we have is Parashat HaChodesh, which is the Mitzvah Rosh Chodesh, which is before Rosh Chodesh Nisa. And the week before that, we read Parashat Hara. And why are we reading for extra? Because, because it's, pre it's, pre it's preparation. It's preparation for Pesach. All of this is preparation for Pesach. But we only do it this Shabbos? One second. This is the week before Chodesh. Pesach Zachar is the week before Purim? Yeah. 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 Okay? Now, this is, this is your calendar of what's going on. These are four additional readings to sort of put us into the space of what's going on on the calendar. So here, Parshish Golan, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, everybody had to give a half a shekel coin between Rosh Chodesh Adar and Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And those half shekel coins were used for buying communal sacrifices. So the, so the Gemara already talks about people going and collecting the money, setting up tables in the marketplaces during that time. So before you have the obligation to do it, they start talking about you have this obligation to do it. What's not clear? I have a question about this. Okay. So I know that for Parsha Zakhar, people are like very very into like making sure you pray. You haven't heard it, like you get your present to But like I never hear people like, oh, make sure you read here Parsha Zakhar. Right. So Zakhar has a different standing. Zakhar has a different. It's an actual Zakhar, right? That you have to do. It, it, well, because it talks about there's there's a commandment to, to erase the memory of Amalek. So Parsha Zakhar, which we read, remembering what Amalek did to us when we left Egypt, we read it the Shabbos before Purim, because the tradition tells us that Haman comes from Amalek. So that is a time where it's intuitive. Now, as Nisar said, there's actually a commandment to hear Parsha's Zachar, to hear this erasing of Amalek red. This is a real push for people to go to Shul that week. They also read it around, like, they actually do the reading of Zachar on Purim morning. They also will read it. So if you haven't heard Zachar, you can also, so Zachar is like one of those, like, you got to hear Zachar, you got to hear Zachar. You're right. You don't have that same, yeah, we didn't hear Pasha Shkola. Oh my gosh, we didn't hear Pasha Shkola. The other ones are more like remembering and reminding us of things that we have to take care of as opposed to Zachar, which is, and those are currently, the other three Parshas are not currently relevant. If we don't have a temple, they are not currently relevant. So they're, I guess maybe maybe if we had a temple, it would be much more stressful to, you know, oh my gosh, yeah, did you hear it? But Zachar is still in effect today. Sorry, question. Many questions. Okay. I didn't finish here, but yeah. First of all, um, so we read this extra, these are sukkim, basically. Yeah, it's from the Torah. There are sections from the Torah. So like, they're not, they're not, they're not okay, well, yeah. Correct. And then read them after. So what? The, the Shabbos, like, after so the Parsha and after the Haftarah? No, it is in place of the Haftarah. Oh. These are read in place of the Haftarah. We will take two Torah scrolls out of the out of the Ark. The Parsha of the week will be your seven. And the Parsha, Shkalim, Zachar, HaChodesh, Parah, whatever it is, those will be read as the Haftarah. And then the Haftarah is linked to this one, not to the Parsha. Okay. 
So they do say it's the Torah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the ha- oh, sorry, not have Torah. Sorry, it's read instead of the Maftir. Sorry, that's my mistake. There's a Maftir Aliyah, not have that's called so Haftar. Well, they always have ma- Maftir is always a double read. It's Maftir. Maftir, when you call people up to the Torah, you have seven people who get called up, and then you have an eighth person who's gonna read the Haftorah, but because we want to link Haftorah to Torah we kind of reread the last couple of verses of the Parsha. So that's called the Maftir Aliyah. So you have actually eight people who get called up. So on these four weeks, your eighth person is going to get called up to a new Torah scroll with another Parsha. It's another... It, it's a, and then after is the Haftorah. And then, and then that person has the Haftorah. What, tell, me, tell me what am, I, what am I losing? Not important. Do they do these extra psukim during the week too? No, 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 just on Shabbos. Just on Shabbos. And, um, it's just a Shabbos Sarah, read. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the connection between, like, this is like communal sacrifices, remembrance of them, like procedure of purification and commandment of sanctification during the month. Right. What's the connection for me? And how are you leading up to Pesach? How are they preparing us for Pesach? Okay, so so we're gonna start to we're gonna start to discuss them. Okay, some of them happen to be timely. For example, purification. That's why I started saying the 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 para parshas para is read. If Hachodesh is read the week before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the week before that we read parshas para. Parshas para is telling us how, what is the process of coming, uh, becoming purified after coming in contact with the dead. Why is it relevant then as opposed to any other time? Because you don't have to, Tuma and Tahara are only relevant if you're going into the temple. They're not relevant for anything else. So you could live your whole year, not your whole life, but you could live your whole time in a state of Tuma. There is no biblical prohibition against staying in a state of Tuma Unless you're a coin, then you have separate. Then you have separate laws, and there are some people who, by choice, are choosing to live at a higher level of connectedness. So they will try to live. And the, and the Talmud talks about this this conversation, right? Regular Jews, me, you, regular farmers, all those regular Jews, did not have to become go into a state of tahara poorly translated as purification, um, unless we were going to go to the temple. The time that everybody has to go to the temple is for carbon Pesach, on Pesach. When we bring the Pesach sacrifice, we bring Passover sacrifice, and everybody has to be part of a Pesach sacrifice. And you could only offer it in the temple in Jerusalem. Everybody had to go because or else you weren't part of a Pesach sacrifice. You couldn't do this in Beersheba. You have to come to Jerusalem. And if you have to come to Jerusalem and you have to go to the temple, you have to be pure. That's one though. That's, Th- that's, that's right. That's par. Chodesh is when we got the mitzvah. The mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh was originally given for Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That was when we got the mitzvah. So that everything does connect. I don't want to spend the time now connecting all of them because it's going to end up being, we're going to not end up doing anything else. Um, and we do have other things to, to discuss, Zoe. In spite of the fact you're like, we've done all this before, because we have. It's That's kind of it's a question of interest. It's, not yeah. of, uh, <laughs> you know, it is it's so so I I so I want to talk about Shkolem a little bit today and how it connects to this partial. Yeah, two questions. Go. Yes, no. What's it? Any more questions before we move on? Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Zakhor is not a full parsha, right? Zakhor None of them. None of them. No. Okay. So what? What's the paragraph? Which parsha is Zakhor? Well, it actually you also find it in the sitter. So you could look up. The, I don't know. It says Zakhor Asher Asalacha Malik Baderch Mitzvah Shem Tzayim Asher Kachavid. It's like five verses, maybe. You could look in the back of the sitter. In the back of the in the back of the in the back of it, you'll have parsha Zakhor. It is in it is in a specific place. I don't know where it is right now. It's not a parsha how we look at a parsha yeah, of like seven leaves, a section. Okay. Cool. Um, and my second question was, why this Shabbos do we have these four extra? Parsha? We don't have four. We have one. This week we only have one. Oh, oh, so all these four weeks. it's not four consecutive weeks. That's the point. That's my point. It's oh. not four consecutive weeks. We have the first one so is this week. This week is Shkalim. The week okay. before Purim, we're going to do Zachar. The week before Rosh Chodesh Nisa. Oh, leading up to Pesach. Leading up to Pesach. The one leading to Pesach. Okay, so the, the one leading up to, so you have Para and Hachodesh are always consecutive because they are met. That's how they, you line them up. And the other ones are not specifically consecutive. And starting from now, going all the way till Pesach. And for those of us who are paying attention to such things, if now we are before Rosh Chodesh Adar, because we're reading Shkullin, then we are about six weeks to Pesach. Wow. For anybody, for anybody who wants to be stressed about it, I don't want to be stressed about it. Yes. Oh, it says before. Before, Sorry, it's okay, B4. So, it doesn't say bye. Oh, that's okay. funny. Parsha Sachodesh is, is the week before Sachodesh Nisan, and then Parsha Sachodesh is the week before Parsha Sachodesh. These weeks, yeah, exactly. These are always consecutive. But you, this this is the one that has the time. And this one is linked to that, to that one. Those have specific times, not Parshas. Right. Got it? So the... So Parsha Sachodesh is always linked to whatever Parsha Sachodesh no, no, it's always linked to Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So that could be any Parsha Sachodesh. Exactly. It, it, it usually is going to probably be a, a couple of, a couple of you know, ones that it usually hits, but because the Parshas aren't so exact, but... And is Shkalim always with Vayakil? No, no, no. So and it's not Vayakil Pukudi this week, it's only Vayakil. Oh. This week is only Vayakil. We have a leap year, so we have to split those Parshas. Oh, so so it's they're never linked to the partial. No, no, they're linked to the calendar. Okay. They're linked to the calendar. Unlike regular Torah portions, which are not linked to the calendar, these four are specifically linked to the calendar. Yes. Mm -hmm. I still don't see the connection, and are they like leading up to this? Up? Okay, I guess we're we're gonna we're gonna take them one at a time. Okay. But, okay. I don't I don't understand how they connect. Not how each of them had special needs. Yeah. I understand. But the, the, the focus that we're talking about is things that are related in, in temple times to that were timely towards Pesach. You also have like the back end, like what we talk about, how, you know, from the spiritual, the more spiritual place of it. But for example, Parsha Shkolem is very practical if you have a temple. If we have to start using the money. From well, the new money, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, you got it. You need time to collect it. It's tied to the. It's tied to the base of Mikdash. Can I say something quickly? Yes. Yeah. Like the way I think about it. Like you know when, like whenever, like in Shul, when when Pesach is come, like sometimes the rabbi will get up and like in, before his bar Torah, like covered Kamarga does announcements. 
the rabbi will be like, okay, so like next week, guys, we're going to start like the selling of the comments or like whatever. The way I look at it, like, it, it may be wrong, correct me if it's like a wrong way, but like the way I look at it, it's almost like in the olden, like in the olden days when they had the bake make this, that this, that was announcements. Yeah. Thing, but like in a whole year, they didn't go that way. Right. So, so it, it's, uh, yeah, but it seems like random things. Uh, I understand. It's like preparing practically what to do. Right. So, so it seems like so random things. Why, why don't you read like the commandment to remember the ETS majority? Right? Well, it's not. That's so that's one of the things we have to talk about. It is. It, it no, looks. Right. So why these four? Right. So these are four in one area. Another thing which is very interesting, just to like to kind of help you. No, no, no. I'm not giving you another four. But in general, in general, in halacha, it talks about the idea that 30 days before a holiday, you need to start preparing for the holiday. That's a halachic consideration. That means you can't wake up the day before any holiday and say. Oh, shoot, what am I supposed to do tomorrow, right? You're really halachically a month before you're supposed to say, oh, this is happening in a month. What do I need to remind myself? We don't want things that we do once a year. How well do we remember those laws? Like we think we remember them. How well do we actually really remember them? And 30 days before you actually supposed to start reminding yourself about the laws that are going. So there's a lot of stuff going on over here that are not relevant to us today because we don't have a... But that's also communal stuff, meaning you have to get them, like, like, when- yes, but I'm saying these are more communal, yeah, and 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 personal para to, to become purified is a personal thing. If somebody Everybody has to do it, like, but it's but it might not be your house, no, but right. if say nobody's going to, nobody, if I choose to live in a state that I'm always in a state of tahara, which I can't do without the temple, it's only relevant with the temple, then this is irrelevant for me. Like, this is nothing, like, I don't care. But, but it's, but there, because communally, it is a need, we're going to read it out. And I think that your point of it being kind of like a message for everybody is, is well taken. It is well taken, but there's also obviously going to be a little bit more like, let's take it, let's take it another level. Like here's a practical answer, but then on a deeper level, what does it mean and how does it connect? So that's also going to be part of the conversation, but I want to take, we'll do those as they show up because then they're going to be relevant, more relevant to right now. Okay. Um, so that was our four parshias. So that's just like, it's kind of, by the way, we really talked about Shkolem last week. So I don't want to go back into discussing the whole thing about Shkolem, but I, what I will say, one thing, you know, we'll, we'll come back to Shkolem and how it connects to Vayako at the end. If I don't, please stop me. Okay. Um, Vayako and from slash repetitive looking kind of Torah portions because they are, uh, because we literally had them three weeks ago and two weeks like they're literally these are the Torah portions that we just did the last five Torah portions of the of the Chumash are there's a whole conversation about why can we just say and the Jewish people did it all why do we have to repeat everything all the details of what's going on there are very few changes that actually happen in the wording of what's going on one of the big differences that we're going to see here in in Vayakel um, is that when whereas when Hash where the the Terumah Tetava, we talked about the temple and the and the carbon and the sorry the close of the Ghanim. The first time that was Hashem telling Moshe, and now when Moshe tells it to the people to actually do it, and this is when the people, this is when the people actually are going to donate and they are actually going to make it. We find that they make it differently than they were co- commanded originally. Originally, they were told to make the ark and the, the all the vessels and blah blah blah, and then we have the commandment to make all the 
the um, and we have the commandment to make the boards and the houses and the curtains and blah, blah, blah. When they actually physically make it, they do it reverse, right? Because Batal says, where are you going to put the ark? <laughs> You're going to make the ark and then what are you going to do with it? You're going to just like stick it in the middle of the desert. Like Moshe's going to keep it in his tent. Like, what are you going to do with the ark if you make it? You need, when you build a house, first you build a house and then you build the furniture. You don't build the furniture and let it sit in, you know, in the elements and then build the house. So that's going to be one of the practical things that we're going to see that's going to happen over here. We're not going to go through the whole parasha um, about all the details, of how they did it. And the other thing is that we're going to see some really, really beautiful um, conversations going on about the women's involvement in the building of the home for God. Um, but I want to, I want to for a second highlight the question that, that, everybody has and that Zoe kind of articulated like why <laughs> why do we have this here again what's going on over here okay so uh so a couple of things I want to say first of all there is a very very big debate about where things happened in the Torah what we're we're the what's the order of things that happened so if you look at our five Torah portions we have Hashem speaking to Moshe telling him to build a home and the vessels. And then for lack, like just to kind of uh, um, simplify the middle parasha, Kisisa, we have the sin of the golden calf and the second set of lupus. We have the forgiveness and the second tablets. And then we have the people actually doing it, right? So then the, everybody wants to know, is this just repetitious? What does this mean? What's happening? So we're going to three different, we're going to look at three different um, templates of how to look at it. Number one is the Zohar. The Zohar says that the, the commandment to build the temple, I keep saying temple, but it's not a temple, it's a tabernacle. The commandment to build the tabernacle and the donations of the people happened together. Then they had the golden calf and then they actually built it. That means all the materials were donated by people who were completely righteous. They had this whole conversation of, you know, of, you know, they had this conversation, we're going to build a home for God, and they donated the materials, and then they, oops, messed up, and then they built it. Huh? They recycled. Well, they didn't recycle. It's interesting. Some of the commentaries talk about that when they built to, to, to support that is that when they build the golden calf and Aaron tells them to bring their earrings because they had no other gold because they'd already donated it all to the temple, to the tabernacle, right? So they had, they, what was the ends of what they had? That's one way. Was it all commanded, donated, oops, and then built? That's what the Zohar says. Rashi right away says, there is no chronologic chronology in the Torah. It doesn't matter how it was written. Really, it all happened after. It's all Moshe was commanded in one of his times up in the in the in, when he went to Hashem. He, they have revelation. Moshe goes up, gets the luchos, comes down, sees the golden calf. You know those break, goes back up, and is then given the commandment to build a home for God. And when he comes down after he actually had two times, so he has three heavenly uh, shifts kind of thing, right? He actually has goes up three times. When he comes down on Yom Kippur and he has, he says, Hashem forgave us. And this is how the forgiveness is going to look. And he said, comes down with the commandment to build the Mishkan. So according to Rashi, the Mishkan is almost a reaction to the golden calf. 
had there been no golden calf, what would have happened? Would there have been a story? Would there have been a tabernacle? Or was there, according to Rashi, kind of looking and saying, it's all reactionary. It doesn't matter that the, that the story is divided into two places, like the command to Moshe and then the Moshe speaking to the people is bracketing the golden calf and it just doesn't matter. Rashi like, it doesn't matter, it's, it, it, whatever. It all happened after, right? And Nachmanides, Ramban, is very careful to try to hold chronology. Uh, you know, how the Torah is written, Ramban works very hard to make that fit. That it, it works as it is, as it is as it is written. Now, sometimes he has to do pretzels because it, it, it just doesn't, the other information that we have doesn't support this being the chronological order. In this case, what does Nachmanides say? He says that Moshe was given the commandment to build the golden calf. He never had a chance to tell the people. They have a terrible sin. The and golden calf. The golden calf. No, no, no. What? Moshe, said, Moshe had instructions to build the tower. Sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Moshe gets instructions to build the Mishkan. He gets the... Oh, sorry. Thank you. I'm so glad somebody picked that one up. <laughs> and I thank whoever spoke up. He said, that doesn't make any sense. Thank you. Moshe gets the commandment to build a home for God. And before he could transmit that information to the people, they had the golden calf. And they sinned. And the response, then, and then what happens afterwards, once they are forgiven, Moshe then transmits to the people something that he had already been taken to God. He had already been given from God. Okay? So according to Nachmanides, so according to the Zohar, the temple, the tabernacle is only constructed from righteous people. Sin has no place in the, right? It was commanded and donated before, and then we have the thing, and then they actually could, and then they actually build it. That means that the donations were made from purely righteous people. Because sin and home for God, how does that work together? That doesn't work. According to Rashi, it was, it was built by people who repented, by Bali Truva. They, they, the whole thing was after the golden calf. That means we messed up we're sorry and we're coming from a place of brokenness and we're coming to and we're coming to 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 correct that and Nachmanides says even when they were sitting with the golden calf they already knew about the mishkan the mishkan was already commanded to them sorry they the, the mishkan was already commanded to them they're going to hear about it later sorry they're going to hear about it later but the commandment to build a home for god is in effect as the worst sin in history is going down. They don't know yet. They don't know, but it's been given. It's been given. Moshe got it. He didn't give it to the people yet, but that is still in effect. While they're going, while the worst sin is going down. And the Rebbe explains that all of those are true on a spiritual level. When we talk about building a home for God, if it could only be the perfectly righteous people who build a home for God, Oh, that's really limiting. <laughs> you know, if you say, oh, it only has to come from a place of the Balchuva, of repentance, of having been there and, 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 and being sorry and doing, that's also, that's also a lot of people, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people. But there says the view of Nachmanides gives hope to those of us, even when we're not in our shining moments, we still have a place to build a home for God. We still have a place of connection to Hashem even when we aren't actively doing it right now. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. If it could only be when we're in a perfect state, 
okay, that knocks a lot of us out of the game. I don't know about other people, but that, you know, if it's about true a place, okay. But what happens when we're so not connected? We're doing things that we're so we're gonna wake up in a day or a week or whatever, and we're gonna be so not proud of it. Do we still have a connection to God then? And Nachmanai says, yes, yes, you do. You do have a connection and you have to take that place and you have to, and that commandment to build a home for God is not affected on a certain level by what we do. Even when we mess up, we still have that, we still have that connection to Hashem, regardless of what it looks like on the outside we're still connected we still have to build a home for god in the deepest recesses of our heart from wherever it is that we're coming and whatever it is that we have and that's really what we have you know what we, what we have so we have lots of options of how we relate to hashem and i think all of us and we've said this multiple times i'm gonna say it again all of us have all of these aspects we don't we're not one or the other it's not like you can only be one there are areas of our life we're like we're kind of topic. Like God's going to win this one. It's not going to be such a struggle for us. God's going to win this one. And in that place, we build a home for God. And the place of the Baltuva where we struggle and we correct God, you know, we're going to build a home for God from that place. And even in the places where we are not acing it just yet, even there, we have a place to build a home for God. And that's, I think, so, so, so important as how we move forward for, for everything. It's not like we only get one or the other. No, we had questions. I just wanted to add yes. that also in the text itself, it says for like those who were inspired did this, those who were inspired did this, and like everywhere, even even if it like doesn't say those who were inspired, it then puts in parentheses was inspired to do this work. Which correct, correct. Is, and we spoke was coming from a place like of inspiration. Right. We we spoke about it last time. We when we did the first time around, we spoke about. The details of the Mishkan, we definitely spoke a lot about this idea in Hebrew is called Nidvat Libo, Nedivlev, somebody who is generous of heart, somebody who wants to be part of it. And we spoke a lot about that um, before. So I don't want to, I don't want to like go into that again, but like that place of be, wanting to be part of it is like a very big ingredient over here. Um, a couple of things. Okay, we're doing fine. Okay, so I want to look, which we didn't have a chance to do. Is, is this making a little bit more sense while we have it? I want to say one more thing, and then I want to look at specific vessels for a second. When Moshe has this home for God, when he has this vision, the first time we hear about it, it's like the perfect everything. It, Moshe is not connected enough to earth in a good way to see that the, the ark isn't the first thing that you make right? He sees from like a headspace, what is the most important thing in this tabernacle? The ark, the, the place where God, we connect to God. Hashem spoke to the prophets and through Moshe, through the cherubs that were on the ark. Like it was a very special thing. And that was like really, the, to Moshe, from Moshe's point of view, that was like the main thing of the, of the, of the, whole, of the whole Mishkan. And, and, one of the reasons that it gets repeated again is because our version of the building of the home is what happens when it's messy and what happens when it's not perfect and what happens when it's not ideal. That's actually the house that God wants to live in. So when Batalal says to Moshe, wait, don't you build the house first and then put the vessels in? So Hashem says, oh, that, that's like his name, Bitzel El, he's in the shadow of God. He knew my intention, even though I described it 
vessels to house, the intention really is that you build a house and then you build, and then you put the vessels inside. And, and just something I think we talked, I definitely spoke about this with my sister. I don't remember if we spoke about it here in class. One of the first things that we need to do when we build a home for God, the first thing we need to do is that we need to put up walls. We need to put up boundaries. We need to put up what goes here, what does not go place, what goes into my holy of holy space, what goes into my holy space, what goes into my more public space. And that first thing that we do as we build a home for God is we put up walls and we have to, you know, the healthy boundaries that we need is actually the place where our spirituality and our holiness can flourish. It can't flourish in a place where everything's just a mess, but if we can first put up the walls and that's kind of like the, the, the second conversation of the temple and the, ta- sorry, the tabernacle is really like, how does it work in real terms? How does it work in personal terms in the messy human version of the story, not the idealized version that Moshe sees and that Moshe connects to. Um, so that was, that was another thing that I wanted to just mention in terms of why do we have the repetition of this? Um, question. So I didn't quite follow that. So Moshe wanted to build the art first because he realized that was the most important thing. But that obviously that was not the correct way to do it. No, it's, it's an idealized way to do it, but it's not a practical way to do it. Because like art does not have a place to be. Yeah, the pra- practically speaking, how does this come down with no support system for it, yeah. right? Meaning, is it the most important? Yes. And motion like, so then the messages. The message is that there's a there's a, an idealized version, and then there's a human version. And Hashem is going to live in the human version. He's going to live in the human version that we are actually going to build and we are actually going to do. Um, uh now i want to say okay i'm gonna get to that in a second uh the first thing that moshe is going to say over here is that he's going to teach he's going to speak to the people again about shabbos about keeping shabbos but not having uh sorry about not um about not not it talks specifically talks about not having fire in your you know not moving not transferring fire whatever and then we're gonna and then and then he goes into the details he tells them what to do he, tell, he tells them and they do it and that's basically the differences. I want to share a Torah that I heard from one of the guys at the corner of Karen K. Emmett who collects Naka. So he, I was with my father and he said that the Parsha starts off, Vayakel Moshe is called Aspen Israel, that Moshe gathered all the Jewish people. And Rashi says, Vayakel Moshe, Rashi says, Yom Kippurim, Yom HaKippurim, that Moshe gathers the people the day after Yom Kippur. Okay, and that's, followed, that's Rashi's, Rashi's, um, you know, how Rashi looks at it, that the whole thing happens after Yom Kippur, after they've been forgiven, that the Mishkan is a certain place, you know, a, re- a reparations for the golden calf. So he says, why does Rashi have to say, you know, why does, have to, why does Rashi have to give us the time frame for this? So my father started giving him the answer, like, you know, because now they're forgiven. And he said, yeah, no, I know that. He said, but he said, in life, um, everybody's always busy in the high holiday season up to Yom Kippur, like um, they're working on their midos and they're being nice and they're asking forgiveness. And he says, what's the most important thing is the l'macharat Yom HaKippurim. On the day after Yom Kippur, vayakel, can you all be together? Can you all be joined together? That's where the trick is. Before Yom Kippur, of course you got that. You're like, that, that's your focus. But the question is, what happens the day after? Well, thank like what they say, you know, that it's important to like, be like, 
like nicely between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but it's more important how you stay from you, Yom Kippur to Exactly, go the other way around. Exactly, like it's really nice to up your game for a little bit of time, but we up our game for a lot of the times. So I thought really, really sweet thing, really nice. Talk about Shabbos. Can we talk about how it literally has three lines? Like the beginning part, you're talking about Shabbos, and it's like, okay, for six days work, and then work shall be done. Right. Anybody who doesn't do this is going to die, and don't kindle fire. Right. That's all it says. Right. And well, Shabbos is mentioned multiple times. Okay. Yeah. Shabbos is going to be mentioned multiple times in the in the Chumash. One of the things that they're going to learn before Revelation, when they were in Mara, they learn about Shabbos. Shabbos is something that comes up often. Um, this is another one of the times that it comes up. I know he talks about Shabbos. And that's one of the things that's so interesting is like, you know, when we're passionate, we're excited about a project. Like, we're making a home for God, you know? He's like, yeah, but, like, you still can't do it on Shabbos. You still, you know, like, there, there still are, you don't get to just break all the rules in order to do, make a home for God, which I think is very interesting, especially, and I don't have an answer to this, especially because a lot of the work that we don't do in our homes on Shabbos, we actually do in the Mishkan and in, not just in the building of it. Yeah. There's this, there's the, the, the prohibition that we do both for the building of it and for the upkeep and the, the, we don't cook in the fire and we do all that stuff in the Bishkan and in the base on Shabbos. Like we do all that stuff there on Shabbos. And yet when we're building it, you don't get just, you don't just, you don't get to just trample over Shabbos and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, kind of whatever. And, and the other thing they talk about is like, that's how we know Shabbos. What can we and cannot do on Shabbos is this place of the things that we did for the Mishkan. That's what we don't do on Shabbos. That's how we extrapolate the laws of Shabbos. Um, which just stomp like an interesting Shabbos thing is like, really, we should be using Shabbos as like the taking the deep breath and looking at our lives space. Our, our lives are so busy and everything is so busy, even pre-technology. Like people live very, maybe then they were more physically busy lives. But if you ever, when you want to like know, am I actually on the right track? If you never take the time to look at what I'm doing and where I'm going and where I'm heading, you don't actually know if you're on the right track because you're so busy doing things and moving and continuing. So Shabbos is like almost Hashem's putting this here in the Mishkan. Like, how do you know if my Mishkan is correct? If like my Shabbos is correct, if my Shabbos is my time for looking and saying, am I on track? My whole point of being here is to make a home for God. Here they're talking a lot about making an actual home for God. But is my week running in a way that it is making a home for God? And I'll only know that if on Shabbos I reflect and say, wait a second, how am I doing? How am I doing? How's it going? Um, uh, and if we're so wrapped up that even on Shabbos we can't put our lives, our business, our activities aside, then, then we're for sure not on track. Like then we're for sure not on a track in that place of what is the spirit of this situation is also very, you know, something to think about. So Shabbos and, and Mishkan are always very, very tied together. Here is not any exception. The other thing that's very interesting that Rabbi Sachs talks about um, is that the language that's used at the beginning of this parsha is exact parallel language to what happened at the golden calf, right? Where you had, when the people came to Aharon, it says in the parsha, Vaikalu el Aharon, there was this mob coming, gathering to Aharon. And here, Moshe is Vayakel, it's the same root word, 
Moshe is creating a, a, a group of people with the same purpose, not monolithic. It's not, he, he, Rabbi Sachs goes into this whole conversation about three different types of groups that you have. You can have an Ada, people who share exactly the same spiritual, cultural references, right? So today we use Ada as like, which kind of niche community do you come from? That's an Ada. You could have a Tibor, which is just random people hanging out together, or you have a Kihila. And a Kihila is a bunch of individuals who are working together for the same purpose. So they're, they're not like an Ada. They're not, we all are exactly the same. We all think the same and we all believe the same, but we all have the same mission and we have the same purpose. So they're more combined, they're more united than a just random group of people like a Tibor. They're not as tight as an Ada. They're not as disunited as a Tibor. And Rabbi Sachs says that how do you fight that place of, of, of idol worship, of, of going into golden calf space is can we create a community where each person, uh, sorry, back to our shkalim, where each person counts as an individual. Each person has worth on their own, but they also know my worth on my own is not only for me, it's for the kihila. I'm doing something for the community. I'm working together with the community to build something bigger and beautiful. I'm working to build a home for God. It means I have to do my part and you have to do your part and you have to do your part. But together, we're not just like a bunch of little Lego pieces scattered around the floor waiting for us to step on and hurt ourselves, right? We're each doing something and together we each have our part and yet together we're building something joint. And that is kind of where Shkelem and Vayakel comes together, that we're building a home for God. And each and every one of us, as you pointed out, Noah, what am I personally inspired to give? What are my talents? What do I have? What is What am I passionate about? And how do I bring that into the home for God? But it's not only my home for God, it's the home for God for all of us. We have what we build in my own little space, but also as I change the world at large, then that also becomes, so there's like two kind of homes that we're building. We're building a more personal, more internal, more in my own little life, which I think of course is the biggest life because it's mine, but it's not actually, it's actually my own little life. But also how does that join with everybody else doing their parts and coming together? And so that's really where, that's what Rabbi Sachs is talking about, that Moshe is, combating rabble rousing we're all kind of joined because we want to do this but he says Moshe joins them around doing something that Hashem asked them to do and that makes it a holy kihila that makes it a holy congregation instead of just like this rabble rousing whatever anything goes kind of space that that in purpose rather than mind if they were rallying around the cow, and that was only option. Not fun. Then that's it. I hear that. Okay. And it, but if you were rallying around like a value and mission, that's different. That's not idol worship or like a cult because you're, you're working towards something. But it's something you're rallying around. It's like the field. Well, everyone oh. represented it as an individual within a greater whole rather than becoming the whole. They're all part of it. They're all part of it. And I think another part of the thing is whose idea was it? Meaning the, the whole thing of, you know, there's so, 
the imagery of the of the calf becomes problematic because it's their own personal imagery, right? In the Mishkan, they're going to have cherubs. They're going to have kruvim that are going to not look like the calf, but they're going to look gold figurines kind of situation going on over there. Like there's going to be very familiar looking uh, parallels, but one is or one is Hashem asked for, and one is our own personal vision of it. So that's also part of the conversation. You know, if 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 God had asked them to do it, would it would the singular purpose have made it a cult? I don't know. Maybe from the outside looking in, it would maybe look like that as well. But but the the God part of it definitely is going to also change change the thing. Beseder, um, I want to share one more thought because we in all our talk of this building a home for God, we never actually talk about any of the vessels. So I want to share an interesting thing that I saw from the Kliyakar about, uh, he parallels three, he looks at all the vessels and he says, um, he says, uh, he says, okay, let me just get into what he says. He says, there are three vessels that were created that part of their creation is that they have a crown around them. Okay. The Ark has a crown. It's described as a, like a, there's a crown made, a zerzahav made around the ark. The table has a, has this has this crown, and the altars have the crown. Okay, so he says when you look at those three items, you're going to find a very interesting thing in their dimensions. Okay, the table is made up of full numbers. Sorry, not true. Not true. The altar is made up of full numbers. Um, Back up. Where are we? No, it, it, well, they're going to talk about it later on. It's, it's going to be, well, the Kleoker is actually from Parsha uh, Truma. So, but we, we, didn't, we didn't get a chance to discuss it. So it's the same, but we're going to, guess what? We have the, the, we have the artifacts again this time. So we have to talk about it this time. So the, the, the Mizbeach, the altars are made up of full numbers, the cu- full cubits. That's the word. The measurements are full measurements. The arc is made up of partial measurements, one and a half by two and a half by, by two and a half, I think. Um, and the, and the shulchan and, uh, and the shulchan, which is where the showbread was, has both. It has some full numbers, some complete numbers and some fraction numbers. And he says, so what's going on here? They all have something similar. They all have something different. And he says, if we understand that every single thing in the Mishkan isn't only just a physical item, but is also a spiritual item, so then we'll be able to understand. So he says, for example, the Ark, which talks about Torah, it represents the learning of Torah. We can only learn when we're a fraction, when we're partial. If we don't think, if we think we know everything, we can't learn. And the Ark, all of it, the, the breadth and the depth and the width are all made up of fraction numbers for us to understand that all those things that stop us from learning Torah, I'm not smart enough. It's too much. I don't understand it. I'll never finish. All of those things, as soon, as long as we are understanding that we don't have all of it, we're motivated to get more. And in Torah, that's the headspace that you need to have. You need to have the space of, I could always learn more. I could always learn more. And the ark, which represents Torah, is all of its dimensions are in fraction numbers, okay? The shulchan, which has bread, which is food, which is, you know, uh, representative of, of our sustenance and our, and our, and our, you know, our, yeah, our parnasa, 
has both whole numbers and fraction numbers because there is a place where we are whole and we say we have everything we need and we are taken care of and that is our whole number but the fraction part of the table is when we say do i need to give in to every single taiva and every single lust that i want to try eh, i don't need to have every single desire that i have you know fulfilled i could i could leave that space unfinished. I don't have to eat everything, do everything, be everything. There has to be this place where I am shalem, where I am complete with what I have and understanding that I don't, you know, I don't have to have every single thing. And he says, but the mizbeach, the altar, that comes for kapara, that comes to atone for people. And the only place we can, the only place that we can help somebody reach atonement is if we are holding a complete space for them. But they are coming into the space broken, but the place of kapara is complete. That they come in, there's two different There's two different altars. One altar is where we have animal sacrifice that deals with more base problems and issues. And the internal altar that has the, the incense is for more spiritual things. It brings atonement to the people and it can only bring atonement if it itself is in a place of, if it's, Understand that when you have this, you will be complete. That the atonement does, in fact, complete the person. We can't find until we're good with ourselves. A, but also that the person who's getting atoned, who's trying to get atonement, understands that when you do this, then you're complete. You will be. You will be completed. It's not like oh, you're always gonna stay. Slightly not. So I want to give us a bracha. I want to give us a bracha that we are working to build our home for God. And these are the weeks that we are actually talking about how we do it and what we do. Not just the theory of it, not just theory. Oh, it would be nice if I could build a, you know, you should build me a home, which is kind of the first version of the, of the story that we have. Terumatitav is like, God has this commandment. You should build me a home. And this is kind of what it should look like in very detailed what it should look like. But now we're getting into the, but how do we actually do it? And what we each have to do. <laughs> I want to give us all a bracha that as we build our home for God, that we really be, be so connected to every single part of what we need to be doing right here, right now, and to be able to have the courage to step into that space. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you.